0: morning, y'all. How you doing? I want to apologize ahead of time. I have a bit of a cough that's lingering from the bronchitis that was like Christmas time stuff. So if it comes out, I'm so sorry, okay? Um, I got the hot drink. We're doing all the good things. But we're here to study God's Word. Are you ready? Awesome. Well, I don't know if you know this, but in about two months or so, Families from all over the world are going to gather around their tables. They're going to gather around their tables in preparation for the great feast. For the great feast, the sun will have just set over the horizon. Kitchens and pantries will have been cleaned and prepared as is custom. Holiday songs will be sung, but not until the end, not until after or just before The story, the history is read. Yet again, like it is every year. This is the holiday of freedom. This is the Passover Seder. One day I would absolutely love to participate and observe in a Passover Seder. Has anybody here done that? Okay, sweet. Is it pretty epic? (laughs) Yeah, I got a thumbs up from Don. That's awesome. Okay. So Passover Seder. Everyone gathered around the table, everyone with a a piece of this like salty, dry, cracker-like matzah in hand. And, And they're gathered around united, and they turn their ear toward each other and hear the telling of the great Passover. The great exodus of God's people. His chosen people freed from the grip... And the enslavement of the Egyptians nearly 4,000 years ago, the pain, the suffering, the agony, and the oppression that these Hebrews would endure for over 400 years of enslavement. It was coming to an end. For it was on the 15th day of Nisan, like March, April, okay that God's mercy and favor was over the Jews in the land of Egypt. God and his divine action through an obedient and humble, stuttering servant and ten really awful plagues delivered his people out from the Egyptian rule. God created an escape, a way out from slavery. God's favor was upon them. And that's worth celebrating. And then we fast forward 2,000 years from the Exodus to the time where the Romans ruled. And as it's documented in the book of Luke, the child, that being Jesus, grew strong. And he was filled with wisdom and with favor from God. For the favor of God was upon him. God's favor, or as we've learned earlier in Luke, God's grace was upon his people, the Jews, during the first Passover. And his grace, his favor, was upon his son, Jesus, the Son of the Most High, as we will see this morning, even in the life of a teenager. So we're continuing our study here in the Gospel of Luke. um, And we're navigating the life of the Messiah. God sent one to save us all. We've looked at Jesus' family. We've looked at his birth. Last time we were together, uh, we looked at Jesus' first visit to the temple, and this time we're going to be looking at Jesus' second visit to the temple in his teen years. I don't know about you guys, but I missed seeing you all last week, by the way. The snow was cool, the ice was less cool, uh, but I missed seeing you guys. But I hope you would join me now in turning to the book of Luke in your Bibles. Luke is the third book of the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. you got a phone, you can get the Bible app, you can download that, turn to Luke chapter 2. Uh, if you go to John, you've gone too far. It goes Matthew, Mark, and then, oh, you guys are paying attention. Okay, sweet. <clears throat> well, uh, as you're turning there, the Passover, as we were describing, is the greatest holiday for the Jews. If you're a Jew or you are of Jewish descent, this is your feast, this is your holiday. This is like the holiday for the Jews, for us Gentiles to relate to this. It's like Christmas for my toddlers. Woo! Right? This is awesome. Or it's like the 4th of July for those who love explosions in the sky. Right? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Okay, or, or it's like the Super Bowl if the Seahawks are in it. Am I right? Okay, there we go. I got some groans too in there though, so I'm sorry. <laughs> The Passover is a big deal. It was a huge deal a couple thousand years ago when Jesus was growing up. And that's where we find ourselves in verse 41 of chapter 2 in our section this morning. If you'd follow along, I'm going to read a couple verses here. Now his parents, Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to what was custom. Okay, so we're going to pause We get a glimpse again into Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, and their devoutness to God. They're devout Jews. They're dedicated to Yahweh. God was their center. He was their sustainer. And Joseph worked in the trades, right? He was working in a small town. He, He raised his sons in the family business, and they didn't have much money, but once a year... They would pack up all their things in their suitcases and they'd load up that old rusty commuter donkey and they'd head south traveling to Jerusalem from Nazareth. That is a three-day trip. A three-day trip to go to this epic week-long party. And it's recorded that Jerusalem would increase to five times its population. That's a lot of people, okay? So that's 150,000 people in a town of 30,000. 150,000 people. It's packed out. Jerusalem's packed. No doubt would exude an energy that stokes up anyone who enters its vicinity. So Mary and Joseph, with this 12-year-old Jesus, his siblings, his half-siblings, his extended family, and, and most likely some of his other friends from Nazareth, they're all caravanning down together. To go up to the hill that is Jerusalem for this holiday of freedom, caravanning uh, in those those days. So that we have context here. <coughs> There's the cough. Okay, caravanning in those days was for the safety of travel, so robbers wouldn't like just steal all your things. That you wouldn't get beat up on the road. Uh, it's also for sharing resources, making making the trip cheap and affordable. We like cheap and affordable, am I right? Okay. (laughs) This year though, this this was a different Passover. This was a different year entirely because Jesus was 12. This was his year of preparation before becoming culturally a man. His transition to adulthood. There weren't bar mitzvahs yet in the Jewish tradition. That wouldn't come for another 500 years. But... It was similar to that process culturally, and Jesus knew it was different. His father, Joseph, had no doubt been like, telling him about this. This year we're going, and this is the big, the big year, Jesus. Are you stoked? Along with other dads in Nazareth, these boys um, would be experiencing this uh, leveling up to adulthood as well. And so they, when they'd get to Jerusalem, they would enter, enter the temple with their fathers and they'd learn and they'd take in everything as much as they possibly could about the heart of Israel's religion. And by the afternoon of Passover, the slaughtering of the Passover lambs would begin. Each family unit would slaughter his family lamb. They'd dress it and they'd prepare it. And they'd carry it back to wherever they were camping or staying. And they would roast it over a fire. <clears throat> and the feast would be eaten. Y'all like feasts? Yeah, I'm going to ask that one more time. Y'all like feasts? Yeah. That's right. The feast would be eaten. The prayers would be prayed. Halal psalms would be sung. And to the end of the night, the story of God saving his people Israel from their enslavement in Egypt, would be told. The feast ends and Jesus and his families and his relatives stay for a week in and out of the city, in and out around the temple, waking up early to be a part of the day's festivities, going to bed late because they're talking with excitement to each other about what happened, what they saw, what they learned. Did you see that guy? That was crazy, right? And so this was the event of the year. And then like all things, the event comes to an end. And they begin to pack up. They begin to head home. Jesus is so stoked about all that he's been learning from the Torah all week in the temple, from the teachers, and from all the amazing festivities and all the things that God the Father has been showing him about his own identity, his Messiahship, that we find ourselves in verse 43. Reading until the end of the chapter, so follow along again. Here we go. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Okay, first observation. As we're going through the book of Luke together, we see that this account is book-ended with verse 40 and verse 52 nearly being identical. Okay? This this is a literary literary device that Luke is using here to, to point to and express its point between the two bookends. It says both in both, Jesus was growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God. And here is an adolescent example of that within these bookends. So the feast is over, and Jesus stays behind. He totally is getting caught up fully in whatever is right directly in front of him. If you know any 12-year-olds, this is very common, okay? I'm all in with this thing right here. Everything else, no. I can, just, I can bring myself to 12-year-old Jake. That's where I was, okay? So... <laughs> Totally caught up in whatever was right in front of him. And his parents, it says, did not know that Jesus was with them. Okay, two questions. First, bad parenting? I mean, who leaves their kid? Especially the Son of God, right? Oh, it happens. Marty, have you experienced this? (laughs) Okay, by a show of hands, who else has lost their child? No, you don't have to raise your hand. Okay, lots of hands. Okay, wow. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, losing your, your, your kid in a grocery store, that's one thing. You're just an aisle over. But leaving a whole day's worth, and he's back in the city all by himself, I mean, it's not great, right? I think we're missing an important cultural note here. They, like many, many others, had been traveling in this caravan from point A to point B. Caravans tend to be a lot of people, not just a couple. And in that lot of people, they tend to naturally divide into different groups. The women and the young children in the front, while the men and the older children kind of in the back. And then maybe the teenagers around, the entire circumference of it, right? It's a caravan. We're all partying back home. We're running low on food, so let's book it, right? Maybe you can just begin to sense the problem here. Maybe the possible confusion that Jesus was 12, he's nearly a man, but still a child. Considered a child, he could have been tri- traveling either with his mom up front, or maybe his dad in the back, and all to say, maybe there was some miscommunication. It's not bad parenting. It's an honest case of, oops. It happens. <laughs> so, not bad parents. But then it brings us to our second question Was Jesus being disobedient? Did Jesus knowingly stay behind? and disobey his parents' orders to go back home, did he miss the train on purpose? The, the simple answer is no, because this is impossible. This is impossible because to say that Jesus was disobedient is to say that Jesus was a sinner. To purposely go against what your parents instruct you to do would be sin. And what we know from Scripture, from the Bible, is that Jesus was without sin. In Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus was tempted as we are, yet without sin. And in the book of John, 1 John rather, it says that in him there is no sin. Jesus is sinless. Therefore, he couldn't have purposely stayed, being disobedient to his parents. I love how uh, the author, commentator Kent Hughes, kind of wraps his mind around this. He says the explanation for Jesus' behavior here rests, I believe, in the genuineness of his incarnation and his growing awareness of who he was. As an adolescent, he was still learning about every part of life, including faith and relationships. As a 12-year-old boy, he did not have the fine-tuned social awareness that he would have at age 30. Therefore, Jesus, capable of unknowingly causing his parents distress, but as a sinless being, incapable of knowingly doing it. Incapable of sinning. There was no sin in Jesus. Jesus being fully God and fully man, this hypostatic union, Jesus was blameless, he was spotless, he was perfect. And that is what made him the perfect sacrifice, for all people. Not just one lamb once a year to cover your family's sin. Jesus' sinless nature, his spotlessness before the Father God, would be sacrificed for all humanity, for all time. The perfect sacrifice that brings you and i hope and life jesus the final and perfect passover lamb gave everything once for all this is the gospel good news church family this is what we're all about here that god sent his son to rescue sinners like you and like me through the life death and resurrection of jesus christ This is what we're about, church family. To be reminded in and encouraged by the ultimate great truth that is Jesus and his sacrifice for us, which then ultimately draws us to be missional and be sent out as sent ones, having Christ as the center. And then I think for two parents in particular, Jesus was center and therefore worried their socks off when they couldn't find him. So Mary and Joseph, a full day's worth of traveling away, had to then spend the night without him, travel back another day to Jerusalem, which was the end of the day there, and then the next day, on the third day, try and ask strangers and friends and relatives in the area, have you seen him? And after searching and asking everyone they knew, they found Jesus where? The temple. And what was he doing? Learning and listening, asking questions. Inquisitive. He was sitting there listening, learning, and asking questions. Mary and Joseph's heart started to beat again. They found him. They didn't end up losing the Son of God, right? This is pretty great. See, when they found him, they were, as the the passage says, they were astonished. They were struck with amazement as were the teachers and all who heard him processing and asking questions. This is a 12-year-old that they're struck with amazement by in his understanding, and his dialogue, in theology, in his talking about God the Father, in his developing understanding. This is the same amazement and astonishment that Luke uses when Jesus then performs his miracles when he raises people from the dead, when he heals people, those around were struck with amazement. And so Mary, in the most uh, motherly way ever, then gives her uh, hey, mister speech, right? Hey, mister, we're in public, <laughs> and we might be baffled right now, but when we get home, she says, son, why have you treated us in this way? Our anxiety is through the roof. We thought we lost you. Your Father and I have been searching for you everywhere in great distress. We were straight up worried, she says. Then check out Jesus' response in verse 49. Why were you looking for me? That's just what a mother wants to hear. Why are you looking for me, Jesus says. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? That I must be about my father's business? Mary finishes asking Jesus from an anxious heart of why. She says, your father, that being Joseph and I, anxiously searched for you. And Jesus' declarative imperative then says, I must be about my father's business. You can see maybe why they're confused. We're just talking about Joseph and me, and you saying father when you're in father's house. They were confused. They didn't quite understand what Jesus was getting at. The imperative is so important because we're going to see it multiple times through the book of Luke. Jesus declares, and this is a transition of something in his life that's happening, I must be, or this is something I must engage in. I must be about my father's business. Father God, not earthly father Joseph. This expression of Jesus' growing and increasing intimate relationship with God that he'd been experiencing his whole life, but more recently, in this season of becoming a man. This occasion of the Passover celebration, the party of all parties, these times spent in the house of God, the temple. Even for Jesus, time spent with God brings Him closer to God. This is also true for us today. If you, if you dive into this amazing, living and active text of Scripture, if you intentionally are speaking with the Father and then listening to the Spirit in your prayer life, your time spent with God will bring you closer to God. And being close to God is being at the center of His will. Jesus understood that. He craved it. That's why He missed the train. He's in His Father's house, and He's about His Father's business. Jesus was all about the things of the Father, and He still is today because He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and He's watching over us all, caring for us, and interceding for us, which makes Jesus' ministry pretty unique. He had a special access with the Father here on our earth through the Holy Spirit that was granted to him upon baptism. We'll get to that. And you see, he was beginning to understand it even when he was twelve years old. He was starting to the wheel started to turn, understanding that he was the Messiah. He was the long-awaited Savior. That kind of news for a 12-year-old, it's a big deal. This differentiates him from all others in his time and throughout history. He's not just a great prophet. He was not just a great teacher. He wasn't just a religious figure. He was the one proclaiming the way of God. Himself being God. Being The way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he came to save all people. But God's very own would reject Jesus, the Messiah, the sent one they've been waiting for, and they're in fact still rejecting Jesus, the Messiah, and awaiting some Messiah to show up. God's people, Israel, they missed it. They missed it that Jesus did it all. They missed it that Jesus fulfilled it all. All the Old Testament prophecy. And even as for Jesus' own nuclear family, it would take them a while to figure it all out. To truly grasp and comprehend these things that Jesus was speaking. In our passage this morning, says they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. It's a repeated theme throughout Jesus' life and ministry, as we're going to see in our study of the gospel according to Luke. And Jesus' response to his parents and their non understanding in verse 51 says it all. It's an absolute expression of being about his father's business. He went back home and he was submissive to them. Jesus obeyed his parents. Jesus honored his parents, listened to his parents, and because of his human obedience and submissiveness, Mary, his mother, it says, took all these things and cherished them in her heart. Jesus took on flesh to express to you and to me to show us how to live and walk with God. Jesus took on humanity to show us how to live and walk with God. This morning we have an example before us from a 12-year-old who was seeking to know God more. And how we see it immediately manifested was in the human obedience. His human obedience... He obeyed. He was submissive. This is the example we have for us this morning, church family. What are we going to do with it? This is the truth of Scripture. Are you going to let it penetrate your heart? What are you going to do with this? For me, in studying and and seeking to know God more, it it means for me to reevaluate my priorities? I get so caught up and busy that I'm, I'm missing coming alongside with God. Am I about my Father God's business? If your time spent with God brings you closer to God, where is my time spent? How can I invite God into every moment? I believe the answer lies within Jesus' action. In verse 51, submission. Submission to God and submission to man. Submission leads to spiritual growth. We studied 1 Peter not too long ago. That was all about the word. You can say it confidently, it's okay. Sojourners, and we were to be, Derek said it. What? Is submitting, yes, okay. Anybody recall? <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. It was a long time ago. Is that, like, that was last year, okay? Submission to God and to man. Submission leads to spiritual growth like Isaiah says, and he declares, here am I, Lord, send me. He's being submissive to God. We're told in Romans by Paul where we're instructed to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Submission to God, obedience to God, leads to our spiritual growth. I think the solution, the answer, is within the action of submission. Submission to God can also lead to a life of action, a life of serving, living missionally. Where are you serving? Where does God have you on mission right now? Where are you Living out the gospel. And in the answer that is the action of submission, I think finally submission leads us to knowing who we truly are. Obedience that informs our identity as believers that we are the child of the one true king. We are God's children. Awareness of who we are, leads us to want to obey and submit ourselves for god's glory when we submit by our example christ jesus this morning as a 12 year old we may increase in wisdom and in favor with god and man heavenly father i pray this over us this morning may we not just hear your words and walk out the door as unaffected, God. May, may your truths settle in. May they impact our hearts. May the example of your son as an adolescent just longing and clinging to you that he misses the train home, may we also long and cling to you. Thank you, God, for loving us and sending us, your Son, to be an example for us so that we might go out and effectively live for your kingdom purpose, for your glory, God. God. Jesus, I pray this over all of us. pray this for me. Convict us, God, in our hearts. And may the gospel good news encourage us more and more every day. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.